when you look at the gospel, when you see Jesus on the cross and what he has done for you, that, that kind of generosity, that kind of grace, that God, it changes you, right? It changes you not just, uh, it changes you from the inside out. That's what the gospel does. And it allows us to become generous. And I think we'll see that today as well. And so this is the kind of church uh, that we want to be. This is the kind of people that we want you to be. We want to, to, to have the freedom to give open-handedly. We want to be able to just uh, to be able to have the resources because God has given those things to us, to be able to say, man, if you're in need, uh, we want to help, uh, whatever the case may be. We want to be able to give generously. And so we've given you guys some resources. Uh, the book that we've been using throughout this is ABC's of Financial Freedom by Barry Cameron. He's a pastor out in Dallas, Texas, and wrote this book. And uh, an amazing story, so if you want to pick that up, you can. We also have a class that we are offering uh, on Sunday nights here at the church from 5.30 to 7. How many of you guys went to that class last week? A lot of you? Several of you? I heard it was a packed house. It was great. So thank you guys for being a part of that. Uh, I heard it was great. And so, um, man, I encourage you guys, if you didn't go last week, you can still go tonight. And uh, we'll, we'll bust some walls down if we need to. Did you guys be all right with that? <laughs> All right, but seriously, uh, it's going to be a great, great class. The class is three more weeks, and, uh, and then this course, this series is going to end next week. So. And the verse that we are using for this series comes from 2 Corinthians 9-11, and this verse is in the middle of a section of Scripture uh, where Paul is encouraging the church in Corinth to be generous towards others in need. And we'll actually take this passage of Scripture next week and kind of break it down for you. Uh, so I'm excited about that. But, but I love how Paul motivates his readers in Corinth, right? I love this because Paul does not go to them. And he, doesn't, he doesn't try to guilt them. He doesn't show them pictures of, you know, starving people, uh, you know, say, hey, you know, you ought to give to these people. He doesn't guilt them. He doesn't shame them and say, man, look at all the things that you have. You ought to be given. Uh, he, he doesn't do that. But what he does is he simply points them to the gospel. And listen, that's the only thing that's going to change. I can stand up here and I can guilt you all day long. And that would not be, it might be effective for a short period of time, but that's not going to be effective over the long haul. Would you agree? Guilt is a horrible motivator. And so that, that's not the way to do it. I can shame you, but again, it's just not a great motivator. But he points them to Jesus. And that's, that's what we want to do here at Chester Christian Church, man. Our, our purpose is simply to make much of Jesus because it's all about him. And he's the gospel, and the gospel is good news. And so that, that's our purpose here. He points them to Jesus, and this is what he says in 9 11. He says, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, not just finances, but in every single way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. And so today what we're going to do is look at two different stories uh, from two different people from the Gospel of Luke, and we'll compare and contrast their interactions with Jesus. And each individual has an encounter with Jesus, and each individual has a choice to make in that encounter. And this morning, I want you to know that you and I have a similar choice. We can either choose to trust God and allow the gospel to change us to live generous lives, or we can choose to trust our own selves and do our own thing. And so the first person we're going to look at is, is Luke 18, 18, uh, and he's known as the rich young ruler. So if you have your Bibles there, it's going to be on the screen. Uh, you can follow along. I'm reading from the ESV, and that's up on the screen as well. So you guys ready? Right. It says, and a ruler asked him, asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? 
No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, all these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, Then who can be saved? But he said, What is impossible with man is possible with God. So let's start out today by asking some questions, okay? Uh, To kind of get ourselves familiar with this passage. What do we know about this man? Well, we know he's a ruler. He's a ruler, which means he would have been extremely influential. He would have been wealthy. Uh, He would have been highly regarded and highly respected in that community. Uh, We also know from Matthew's account, because this is recorded in Matthew and Mark's account of the Gospels as well, that he is a young, young ruler. And obviously from the text, we know that he's very wealthy. And so because of that, I want us to begin looking at the heart of this passage Because Jesus says something to this guy that's very interesting, and I want us to kind of look at it first. Um, In verse 24, Jesus says, How difficult is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now what Jesus is doing here is he's using hyperbole. And what that is is it's a gross, extreme exaggeration in order to make a point. Because back in that day, a camel was the largest land animal that they knew of. And of course, the eye of a needle was one of the smallest objects in the house. So, so Jesus' point is, it is, it is, it is impossible. Now, now, Jesus is not saying, okay, that, that rich people aren't in heaven. Because if that's the case, then we are all in trouble today. Because in, in our economy, man, we are all very rich. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. We are all very rich. Also, there are plenty of people in the Bible, man, who if you read through from Genesis all the way to Revelation, you will see there are plenty of people in the Bible who had massive amounts of wealth, and they are saved. And these are great men and women of faith, right? Abraham, from the very beginning, Genesis 12, I mean, he was very wealthy, had a lot of land, owned a lot of things. Isaac, his son, King David, was very, very wealthy. King Solomon was extremely wealthy. Job, right? Um, there's all kinds of people in the Bible who were wealthy and rich, and yet they were saved. But if you look closely at verse 26, this is what it says, and you'll kind of get to what Jesus is saying here. He says, those who heard it said, then who can be saved? And Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Notice he doesn't say what is impossible with rich people, but he says what is impossible with man, which means all people, right? All people. So, so what he's saying is, is that salvation is a miracle for everybody. Romans 3.23, right? And this is the teaching of the whole Bible, that, that everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So it's not possible that anyone be saved except for God's grace and mer- mercy and him intervening in, on our behalf. So, so the question then we've got to ask is, why is Jesus picking on the rich people then? Why is he picking on rich people? Why is he picking on this young, rich ruler? And I think the reason he's doing that is because Jesus is warning us about the spiritual dangers of money. 
about the spiritual dangers of money. Listen, if you've never had the chance to read through the Old Testament book of Proverbs, I would encourage you to take um, over the next 31 days and just read a proverb a day, read a chapter a day, and read through Proverbs. It's a great book. And the book of Proverbs actually has a lot to say about money. And half of what Proverbs says about money is very, very positive. It's very, very good, right? I said week one that a lot of people misquote the scripture in Timothy where it says, uh, they, they, say the, they say money is the root of all evil. It's the love of money is the root of all evil, right? So, so it's very positive. Uh, Proverbs has a lot of positive things to say about money. Uh, we, we, we don't think money is bad. We, we want you to have money, okay? Uh, we do. Uh, but Proverbs 10.4 says, Diligent people, in contrast to lazy people, often have more money. Proverbs 14.23 says, All hard work brings a profit, whereas mere talk accomplishes nothing. Proverbs 21.5 says, Acquiring wealth takes diligent planning. Anything less in the end is ruin. So, so listen, money can be a good thing. But on the other hand, Proverbs also tells us that money can be very, very dangerous. And I think we know a lot of the dangers that money has, right? Money has the power to corrupt people. It has the power to make honest people dishonest because of that temptation. Money has the power to make people ruthless and non-compassionate, right? And I think most of, all of, most of us realize those aspects of money and how dangerous it can be. But I think there's an aspect that a lot of us maybe don't realize that Proverbs talks about, and, and that is that, that, that money has the power to blind us to who we really are. And I kind of touched on this in week one. Um, you know, it, it has the power to distort our self-image, to, to make us prideful and arrogant, and ultimately make us feel like we don't need God. I mean, that, that's, that's the power of money. Money has the power to give us a false sense of security. Proverbs 30, verses 8 and 9 says this, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, right? Give us this day our daily bread, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of God. See, wealth has the power to blind you to how important it is to you. Listen to me, nobody here is ever going to admit, man, that I am, I just, I love money. Nobody's ever going to sit there and say that, right? You're never going to say, man, I just love money. I want more money, right? Nobody here has ever said, I'm just, I'm a greedy person. That's the nature of addiction. You don't, you don't know, right? You're blind to it. Think about any addiction, right? I mean, people are blind to their own addiction. That's the same way with money has the power to blind us to who we really are. And it will distort our view of ourselves. And the reason why I bring that up is because we see this in the rich young ruler. And the way that he approaches Jesus and the conversation he has with Jesus. And so let's, let's dig into this and see this a little bit more, right? From the very beginning of the conversation, you can see, you can sense this man's arrogance and his pride. Now, now you got to understand, there was a buzz going around about Jesus, and people were talking, and, and people wanted to see who Jesus was, and so he was like a celebrity. And so this wealthy ruler, what I imagine happens is this guy is with his friends, Right, he's, a, he's, a, he's a ruler, he's, he's young, he's got, his, he's got his posse with him, right? He's got his uh, friends, and so they're walking, and they see Jesus, and he, he's like, he's like, sees his friends, he's like, hey guys, watch this, watch this. And so he kind of busts through the crowd. I don't know if that's how it happened or not, but I, I like to think that's how it happened. <laughs> Maybe one day we'll find out. Um, 
And so he goes there and he approaches Jesus. And this is what he says. He starts out, he says, good teacher. Uh, I want you to just think, think you've got to read it with some arrogance, right? Good teacher. Good teacher. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, you know right off the bat that this guy theologically is way off because uh, what can anybody do to earn eternal life, right? It's, it's a gift. It's a free gift from God. But, but what Jesus does here is he chooses to use this man's word choice as a gateway to uncover his dirty heart. I love this, right? Jesus responds with this. Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now, we have to be careful here because if we read into that, we think that Jesus is saying, wait a minute, is he saying he's not good? Because there are plenty of places in the Gospels that Jesus claims to be God, and he is. But, but Jesus, his point is this. Why are you walking up to apparently another human being, just a, just a teacher, just a rabbi, and calling me good? That's Jesus' point because this idea that no one is good uh, it, it isn't just a New Testament teaching, okay? It, it's, it's, it's permeated throughout the whole Old Testament. And this rich young ruler would have known that. He would have been a, a Jewish man. He would have known the Old Testament. He would have known the teaching from the Old Testement. And so Jesus is making a point, uh, a point. He's saying, why are you walking up to apparently another human being and calling me good? And so Jesus is starting to expose that. Psalm 14 and Psalm 53 say, none is righteous, no, not one. All have turned aside. No one does good, not even one. Psalm 133 says, If you, O Lord, should mark sins, who could stand? So Jesus' point is, man, if you assume, if you assume that I can be good, just an ordinary teacher, then you are assuming that you could be good too. And Jesus' point is, you are not good. You're not good. And this is a very important first step for every single person. Because if you think that you can get right with God by living a good life, and listen, that's how a lot of people think, man. Listen, my dad was one of them for, for many, many years. I couldn't tell you how many conversations I had with my dad. He'd be like, I, I'm a good person. I've lived a good life. I'm, I'm decent. Then it's going to do a couple of things, okay? If that's the way you believe, then it's going to do one of two things. First, it's going to cause you to be self-righteous. You're going to be like a Pharisee. You're always going to be saying, hey, look at me. Look at how good I am. Look at what I'm doing. I'm knocking it out of the park. I'm nailing it, man. And you're always going to kind of look down at other people who aren't quite up to your level. Right? It's going to create this self-righteous, arrogant, prideful thing in you. And you're always going to be kind of checking things off the box. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. Or, on the other hand, it will create this insecurity in you this self-loathing, this constant uh, guilt and shame because you're always going to be asking the question, well, am I doing enough? Have you guys ever, has that ever happened before? Have you guys, anybody, and you don't have to raise your hands uh, because I think most of us always have in the past or maybe you're still there, but a lot of us have asked that question, am I doing enough? Am I doing, am I, should I do more, right? You start asking those questions and you're always insecure, you got low self-esteem, and you're wondering, am I measuring up? You see, nobody can be good. Nobody is good. And then Jesus responds to the rich young ruler's question by saying, you know the commands. And Jesus is referring to the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament in, in the book of Exodus. 
And then Jesus rattles off several of commands. And, and, and then my question to you is, why does Jesus do this? Well, why does Jesus do this? Is, is, is Jesus suggesting that we can keep all the commands and earn salvation? No. You see, see, one of the purposes of the law, the reason why God gave the commands, was to show people that they can't keep the law. I mean, now God said, hey, hey, this is the law. These are the commands. You need to try to obey them. You need to try to, to live up to them. You need to try to avoid all sin, right, and follow God. But the point of the commands, was, it was almost like a mirror. When you look into the mirror and you start to see yourself and you start to see some flaws, that was kind of the purpose of the law. You look into the law and you see that, uh, I fall short. I don't, I don't keep, keep all these commands. And so the purpose of the law was to ultimately point them to a Savior. They need a Savior. They need somebody to rescue them from themselves. But this man was so arrogant. He was so prideful. Right? Think, think about it. Think about it this way. If Jesus had said, if he had responded, he said, hey, you want eternal life? Then you must believe in me, for I have come to die for your sins. I have come to go to the cross and pay a ransom and take the penalty that you deserve on myself. If Jesus had said this to this arrogant, prideful man, listen, this would have been inconceivable to this man. You know why? Because he would have said, sins. Sins. I don't need a Savior. I mean, look at his response. He says, all these commands I have kept from my youth, right? He's, he's like, hey, Jesus, I'm, I'm nailing this, man. I'm, I'm, I'm knocking this out of the park. And so even when Jesus points out the law, when Jesus says, look into the law, here's the commands, right? The, the man is still blinded. He doesn't see. It's pride and arrogance. And it's, listen, oftentimes the hardest people to bow down before Jesus are those who've lived a good life, who are decent people, and they have their own resources. Because why would they need God, Right? Listen, there are a lot of people in, in today that are, that are repulsed by the fact that, they would even, that you would even suggest that they need something, and that something is a Savior. I don't know if you've ever had conversations with people, and they're like, man, I just, I just don't need it. I just don't need it. A Savior from what? I'm a decent person. I've lived a good life. Listen, this past week, man, we were, um, our leadership team, we meet uh, second Tuesdays of each month, and we go to Cracker Barrel after our meetings because we like to eat. Food is good. Amen. It's no Chipotle, but it's, it's good. Uh, and so we were sitting there. You guys remember this conversation, right? The, the waitress comes over, and she says, and we start to talk about, uh, we had this conversation with her, and we start talking about church and about Jesus and this and that. And, and she lives right over here in Ashton Creek, and, uh, and she made the comment. She's like, you know, I grew up in church, but I don't go to church anymore, but I have a faith. And she said this. This is what she said. She said, I think that church is like a hospital for sinners. And I don't want to take a seat that somebody needs. I don't want to go to church and take up a seat that somebody needs. I want to say, so you're saying you're not a sinner? Right? Right, you see what I'm saying? So, so you hear that, right? And this man, this, this rich young ruler, his money and his status has blinded him and given him a false sense of security. I don't need that. I've kept all these commands, Jesus. I'm, I'm, I'm good. 
But see, Jesus comes onto the scene. I love this. Jesus comes on the scene and he raises the bar. He takes the Ten Commandments and he raises the bar. You see it in the Sermon on the Mount. If you're not familiar with the Sermon on the Mount, go to Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, and you'll see that. Jesus is constantly saying, you've heard it said, but I, but I tell you this. And so Jesus raises the bar and he responds by going after the man's heart. Look at verse 22. Jesus said, One thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. Now, I got a picture here to show you what this man's face looked like when Jesus told him that. (laughs) That's my my face when Jesus told me to sell everything, right? (laughs) The rich young woman was like, you know? I had to use that, man. I was like, all right, you can go ahead. How about roll? We took that picture this past week, and uh, it was just, it was hilarious. We've been using it all week long. And listen, this is why Jesus, this is, why Jesus is called the Good Shepherd. This is why Jesus is called the Good Shepherd. Jesus is constantly pursuing people's hearts. Listen to me, he's not concerned with you just cleaning up externally. He's not concerned with your behavior. He's not concerned with just the law. He wants your heart. And listen, we see Jesus doing this throughout the Gospels, throughout his ministry. We see Jesus passionately pursuing people's hearts. In John chapter 4, there's a great story of the woman at the well. She's a Samaritan woman, and she approaches Jesus, and Jesus says, hey, give me a drink. And they have this conversation and Jesus starts talking about living water. And she's like, hey, Jesus, give me some of this living water. And then Jesus goes for her heart, doesn't he? He says, go get your husband. I don't have a husband. And Jesus is like, yeah, you've had five, and the man you're living with isn't your husband. See, yeah, Jesus, he's going after the heart. See, oftentimes, man, when we, 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 are, we are worshiping something besides Jesus, we're blind to it. We don't see it. And this woman at the well, she was looking for living water through men. Men was her God. She was looking to men to fulfill something in her that only Jesus could. Same way with the rich man. The rich man, his, his God was his money. He was looking for fulfillment in money that only God could give him. And Jesus exposes that. He exposes that. His money was his God. It was his identity. It was his security. It's the one thing that was squeezing God out of his life. And in his arrogance and in his pride, he's, he's blind to it. But also by Jesus going after the man's heart, he exposes that he, he hasn't kept the law perfectly, has he? He actually broke the first one. How many of you know what the first command is? Go ahead, let me hear it. Yeah, I can't hear you, but I'm not a good lip reader, but it sounds like you're saying you shall have what? No other gods right before me. And this guy, this guy, money was his God. He says, you can't inherit eternal life on your own good deeds, man. You need a Savior. You need Jesus. And then the story says that the man walked away sad because he was, well, he made a choice. And his choice was to trust in his own resources. So that's, that's the rich young ruler. Now flip over one chapter. 
uh, to chapter 19, and we'll quickly look at Zacchaeus. This will be a lot quicker, I promise. But I love the story of Zacchaeus, and we'll look at his interactions with Jesus, and I want you to notice the difference, okay? This is what it says, starting in verse 1. It says, 19, it says, he entered Jericho and was passing, Jesus was entered, he entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Now, I grew up in church, man, and we had this great song that we, we sang in Children's Church about Zacchaeus. How many of you know that song, right? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up on the... <laughs> That's great. That's great. I love it. All right, so, so here's the deal. So, so you know, man, we've talked about this before, tax collectors were despised in Jesus' day. They were despised because they were dirty, man. They, they, were, they were rotten to the core. And, and, and tax collecting, it was a legal profession from Rome, but the idea was, is, hey, you, you extort money from people. You take more than what you're supposed to, and when you extort that, you pocket. You pocket. And so, so Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector, which means he was very wealthy. Right? But unlike the rich young ruler uh, who was very popular, right? he was a ruler, he, was, he had good status in the community, he was, uh, was well-liked among his peers, uh, Zacchaeus was the opposite. Right? Zacchaeus, people did not want to see Zacchaeus coming. They despised him, he was hated. And so, and so go on to, to verse 4 there, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was. Just like the rich young ruler, right? The, the buzz about Jesus was going around. Uh, hey, I want to see who Jesus is. But I think you see the difference here in how they approach Jesus, right? The, again, going back to the rich young ruler, I think he had some, some cojones with him, right? Some friends. He's like, hey, guys, watch this. I'm going to approach Jesus. This is going to be good. Zacchaeus is like, I'm just going to watch from a distance. I, I really don't want to approach Jesus. I'm just going to get up in a tree Right, and I'm going to, to watch Jesus from a distance. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. I love this because Zacchaeus, man, he goes to great effort just to see Jesus. Now, he could have given up. He could have been like, I can't see Jesus. But he goes to great effort to see, to see Jesus. Yeah, I, I don't know. I imagine Zacchaeus, because of the profession, I mean, he wasn't very well liked in the community. I imagine he was very insecure in his status. I mean, he's an outcast. So he just watches from a distance. He's curious. And when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down from a stay at your house today. And Zacchaeus hurried and he came down and he received him joyfully. Do you see the difference? And then again, this is why Jesus is the good shepherd. Jesus doesn't look up in the tree and says, hey, hey, you, hey, you, come down. But he calls him by name, doesn't he? Hey, Zacchaeus. And isn't it great? Jesus, Jesus calls us by name, doesn't he? He's a good shepherd. He's good. Zacchaeus is open. He's humble. He's not proud and arrogant. He doesn't approach Jesus with pride and arrogance, right? Are you guys familiar with the story of the, the rich, uh, the tax collector and a Pharisee in, in chapter 18 earlier before the, before the story of the rich young ruler, right? You have a tax collector and a, and a Pharisee, and they're, and they're praying at the temple, and the, and the Pharisee's praying. He's like, oh, God, thank you that I'm not like 
like these guys. And the tax collector is like beating his chest and he's got his face bowed down. He's like, to look up. He says, have mercy on me. And Jesus said, that's the man who went home justified. See, Zacchaeus, man, he, he, he was desperate. He was hated. He was despised. He had been getting rich for who knows how long off of his own people. And I think Zacchaeus had come to the realization that, man, you know what? Money's not all it's cracked up to be. My money's not all it's cracked up to be. My, my, my money, God, is not all that it's cracked up to be. It's not really doing for me what I thought it was going to do. And I love verse that says, when they saw it, they all grumbled the crowd. They were like, he's going to be a guest of a man who was a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. Now listen, we don't know the whole conversation that took place in Zacchaeus' house with Jesus. But, but you have to imagine that at some point Jesus looks at Zacchaeus and says, Hey man, would you follow me? And because Zacchaeus is, is humble and he's open, because Zacchaeus recognized that he wasn't good, that he hasn't been knocking out of the park, that he is, he is despised, he recognized he needed a Savior and that money was, was not going to give him what, Jesus, what only Jesus could give him. He was willing to let go of it. Now what's interesting here is this. It says he gave half of his goods to the poor and he gave four times. Leviticus 22.7, the law said that if you cheated somebody or if you stole from somebody, you were supposed to pay them back double, two times. But, but what is Zacchaeus saying here? He says, I'm going to go above and beyond what the law says and I am going to pay back four times and then give half of my money away. What is that? that that's, that's a heart that's been changed by the gospel. That's open-handed generosity is what that is. Because he's been changed. Zacchaeus made a choice. He chose to give his heart to Jesus. And he was changed from the inside out. So, so what can we learn from these two stories? What's our takeaway? Well, first, here it is. You need to realize that you need Jesus. Listen, every single week I'm going to point you to Jesus and your need for him. And just because you may be like, well, I've already given my life to Jesus. Well, you still need Jesus. <laughs> every single day you need Jesus, okay? And listen to me, Jesus is not, he's not concerned about you cleaning yourself up. He's not concerned about you, you know, external behavior. Because listen, if, 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 if Jesus, if the gospel moves from your head to your heart and you see what Jesus has done for you and the love that he has for you and it moves to your heart and then you look into your heart and you expose what has been uh, your God or what has been in the way, right, then, then it's going to change you, man. It's going to change you from the inside out and then behavior is going to flow from that. It's not clean up the outside first. It's not going to work if you do that. Right? Jesus desires a humble heart, one that knows that power and money and status does not make us good. If you struggle with, with pride, or, or maybe you're not sure if you struggle with pride, ask God to humble, humble you and see yourself for who you really are. That's a hard thing to do. 
I talk with people a lot, man. I'm just like, yeah, I'm going to be honest with you, man. I've had to do that in the past. I sat in, in a counselor's office, and, and, and she said some things and that I didn't like. And it's made me, like, look deep into my heart, and it's ugly. And I'm like, dude. And I, I walk out of there, like, ticked off at her. But then really, I'm like, man, she's, she's great. She, she, you know, because that's what you got to do. You got to look deep in your heart, man. You got to expose the wickedness that's in there, and it's hard. Someone who is not good, and need, you need to see yourself as someone who's not good and needs a Savior, and then find, find your security in Jesus. Second thing, second takeaway is, I, I would encourage you again, go back and read Proverbs. Take, take one a day. Take one a day. Read through it. Ask God to use the power of His Word and the Holy Spirit to expose your heart. And then number three, practice generosity. Let's practice generosity. You know, I love what Paul writes, and we're going to talk more about this next week, but he says in 2 Corinthians 8, he says, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sakes became poor, so that you, through His poverty, might become rich. Right, if you think about it, Jesus is the ultimate, true, rich young ruler, if you think about it. Right, Jesus is having this conversation with this guy, and this, this is a young ruler, and he's very wealthy, and Jesus is probably thinking to himself, you know, buddy, I, I, I'm a ruler also. I'm a, I'm a rich young ruler. I left heaven. I had everything. I was very wealthy. I mean, I, Jesus left everything, and he came to, he came to earth. He was drained of everything. He died on a cross. He was beaten, spat upon, ridiculed. He didn't give just some of his blood. He gave all of it, didn't he? He did that for us so that, so that, so that through his poverty we might become rich, spiritually rich. Right? We have been forgiven. We have had our relationship with God restored. That's rich. That's being rich. Amen? And so I would encourage you to go home and just put a plan together. Sit, sit down and, and ask, what percentage of my income am I giving away? Am I giving it away to Christian ministries or to other ministries or uh, to whatever it is? Just, just sit down and, and ask yourself, what percentage am I giving away? If it's not 10%, and that was the Old Testament standard, Okay, that was Old Testament. If it's not 10%, then I would encourage you to aggressively move to 10%. And you're like, well, Aaron, the New Testament really doesn't give a percentage. And listen, if the Old Testament standard was 10% and we move to the New Testament, 10% is a starting place. Would you agree? That's a starting place. That's not the ceiling, that's the floor. And if you are giving 10%, then I would encourage you to, to, to how can I increase it? How can I, how can I move towards being generous, open-handed? And, and that may be tough, right? It may require, it will require sacrifice. I don't know, it may require, it will require sacrifice. Because if it doesn't, then, then you need to move it up, right? And it's going to be tough. You need, you need joy. You need joy to do that. And the only way to get joy is to look at Jesus and see what he's done for you. And that's an everyday thing. Amen?
Let's pray. Father, we thank you for stories like this. God, where we can just dig into your word and we can see uh, examples, God, for us to, uh, to learn from. Father, I thank you for your grace and mercy. I thank you for your generosity. You're a good, good father, and we, we thank you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're going to